0: morning church i hope you are having a fantastic weekend uh this weekend it's hot it's july that's what happens and uh man we miss you guys we love you so so much um this weekend uh first before we before i talk about our guests today who put our hands together for all of our first time guests it is so great to have you here this weekend i know we have so many guests that come and check out what's happening here at the Wells. you're moving in and trying to find a house job school all the stuff and so uh, and many other people who are coming to check out what's happening here at the well. It's so great to have you here uh, this weekend. Uh, it's a special honor for me to be able to introduce uh, one of my great friends and an overseer of our church Pastor Paul Andrew. Um, I met Paul a long time ago when I was in Bible college. I had just turned 18, moved to the other side of the world, to Australia, where Paul and his amazing wife, Andy, were my youth pastors, my youth pastors. That's insane. And uh, while I like to think that I've grown up, many people would tell me that I haven't. But all the same, uh, Pastor Paul is a dear, dear friend of mine, an overseer of our church. Uh, so many accomplishments. They 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 built, they've planted and built an amazing church in uh, New York City with multiple campuses. They've subsequently turned that church over to some amazing senior pastors who are also great friends of mine and have begun uh, a significant work. Paul has begun a significant work encouraging pastors all across the world with his Barnabas Network. And he'll definitely talk to you more about that. Him and Andy are an amazing couple that Eric and I dearly love. And so I'm really excited to have Pastor Paul with us today. I know he's going to bring a word that speaks directly to the heart of our church. So I pray that you'd lean in today. I pray that you'd prep your heart, put your ears open for everything that Paul is going to bring today. And if you do me a massive favor, come on, can we stand to our feet? Can we give honor where honor is due this morning? Can you put your hands together and give a massive welcome Welcome to my great friend, Pastor Paul Andrew.
1: How are you, church? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. all right, you may be seated. uh kind of feel like Pastor Jason threw me under the bus there. I'm like, if I was his youth pastor, that just means I'm old. That's what, that's what that means, everybody. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's what that means. So, How you doing this morning? You know what we need to do? We need to give it up for our worship team. Wow. I couldn't be more grateful for this incredible team, for the anointing in the room this morning. You can tell by what's left of my messed up accent from where I met Pastor Jason back in the day, growing up in Australia via 12 years in New York City. Now I live in Charleston, South Carolina, where true confessions, Zeke can can concur. I said y'all accidentally in a sentence the other day, you guys. my accent is completely like disoriented at this point. I don't know who I am, what I am anymore. I was watching Chris up here, worship leading, and I grew up in Australia, and a skinny little white guy trying to play rugby against Tongans, Fijians, uh, um, Maori boys. I mean, all of them, it was like, if you want to know what it's like to tackle one of those guys in rugby, just when you get home today, give yourself a little run up in the, in the kitchen, and tackle the fridge. And you're gonna know exactly, exactly why I did not get anywhere in rugby. Could also be a lack of coordination. There was other factors. That's my story and I'm sticking with it. I'm glad you're here this morning. We've been having a blast at the well. This is an awesome church. So if it's your first time, we are celebrating that you're here with us today. My name's Paul. I actually have the opportunity just to introduce and honor my son, Zeke, who's with us today. In fact, I think we got a little family photo we could stick up on the screen here. This is only weeks ago when he had hair. Um, he's leaning, but he's taller than me. Uh, so Zeke just graduated high school and uh, it's a big deal. So we've been on a big faith adventure as a, as a family. He was a four-year-old little toddler with an Aussie accent when we moved to New York City to plant a church. In fact, we had a four-year-old, his brother Jesse was three. His uh, sister Finley was one at the time, and those three kids set out on the adventure of a lifetime along for the ride with us, helped us plant and pastor churches in New York City and beyond in London and Southern Africa, and, uh, and then joined us in an adventure. As Pastor Jason said last year, we actually handed the church to great friends of ours. We still kind of play a small role as founders, but they're leaving it, leading it forward. And, and I got to launch a ministry, Caring for the Carers. Basically, pastoring pastors, pouring into people who spend their lives, pouring into everybody else with retreats, soul care, mental health. I mean, all of that. I'm loving it. Well, so Zeke came with me on this trip. In fact, we were hurtling down uh, the mountain yesterday up at Sundance, right? And uh, on zip lines and having a blast because he turns 18 this month. And uh, actually, we're going to celebrate his 18th back in Australia. And my wife, Andy, is preaching at a women's conference down there. And then right about a month from now moving back to new york city spreading his wings taking a gap here gonna get his residency status back so he can get local fees for college in new york city because he's smart like that i don't know where he gets it from uh, but anyway i wanted to just celebrate him honor him i got an amazing family also sam doesn't he just look like he was born in brooklyn because he just got there's something about that kid who also now has a buzz cut because apparently that's his role model right there these amazing pioneers have stepped out in faith, been on this adventure, and we are thriving, you guys. So it's good to be back. Good to be in this house. I don't really feel like a guest anymore. I feel like the uncle you didn't know you had, but I got a message for you today. Man, do I have a word for you. And I pray, this is my hope. I hope it's going to encourage you. I hope it's going to be like when somebody just lifts a heavy backpack off you. I think there's a lot of us carrying a whole lot of things around in life that the Lord wasn't intending you to carry. And some of us have got baggage from different things we've grown up with or old world religion and rules and all these things. And Jesus is calling us to a different way. And so I hope this, if I'm gonna pray for it, Father, would you encourage your people today? Every person in this room, They're here on time for a reason. I don't know their story. What's crazy to me, Lord, is you know every detail. Not only of their story, you knew them before you formed them. That's what the Bible says. You know the number of hairs on their head. You know the days, you know your plans. You got plans for them, for good, not for evil. Thank you that you are good, God. And I pray we would hear from the Father's heart today. You, Lord, our heavenly Father, would we be refreshed and reminded that you have good for us. If we would just learn to live in your way, in Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. 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 Well, my title for the message today is simply, where are you? Where are you? Comes actually from the very first question that God ever asked Humanity. First question God asks mankind is in the first book of the Bible, the book of beginnings, you could say. It's called the book of Genesis. If you're not familiar, this is basically the creation story, the beginning of everything. God speaks and there's light and stars and sky and sea, animals, all the creatures, right? Man, woman. And he keeps saying, it is good. And then into that beautiful, unbroken covenant relationship, right, comes sin. Yeah. You know, the, the enemy in the form of a serpent comes. Did God really say, because God had given them this one boundary, don't eat of the fruit of this tree. They have All is freedom. And then they're just like us when it's like, you know, don't step on the grass. It's like, really? Uh, <laughs> right, what pain is it though? Uh, that one boundary, they, it's almost like they couldn't help themselves. Like moth to a flame, they listen to the lies of the enemy and then sin comes. And they immediately knew what we call the fall, that that something was broken, something was wrong. And so Genesis 3 tells us what happens next in verse 8. It says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Pause for a second. This is familiar. That's what they've been doing, walking with God. Communion with God, relationship with God in the garden. That's how they knew the sound. But now something different happens because sin has come and relationship is broken. Listen to their response to a familiar sound. It says, they hid, they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. So pop quiz, I don't know if you're ready for this yet. Did God lose them? Is that what happened here? Like God's question is, where are you? So, I mean, there's one way of understanding what happened here, which is kind of scary, which is God who has two people to be responsible for right now, since we haven't kind of an off day, if we're gonna be honest. So I don't know if he just hadn't had the second coffee or what's going on. But God's like, man, where are you? Like, I know I put them here somewhere. Guys, like, where are you? God's confused, it's like, it's all right, God, we're over here. It's like, oh, thank goodness, I was so worried. No, that's not what's, just be at at peace, everyone. Starting with heresy this morning, just for like, oh, it's gonna be okay. No, there's a reason why God asked a question that he already knows the answer to, right? Jesus does this a bunch of times. He asks questions that he already knew the answer. Like there's a blind guy calling out on the road one time. And everybody's trying to tell him to be quiet because it's kind of annoying, like, shut up, bro. It's like blind Bartimaeus. It's like, all right, it's pretty clear what his problem is. Blind, mean, it's in the name. So he's like, like, son of man, have mercy I mean, Jesus is like, finally turns his attention Everybody's like, oh, oh, bro, go talk to Jesus. And he's like, and Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? Yeah. Don't you feel like all the disciples are like, oof. It's like, <laughs> it's like Jesus, he's, he's like blind. It's like awkward. It's like, what do you want me to do for you? I mean, like, what do you think, man? He's blind. <laughs> So why does he ask? Well, because he wants to see, has he got faith? He says, that that I might see. How many times did Jesus say, according to your faith, so let it be, right? Why does God say, where are you? Not because he was trying to locate them. Because he wanted them to locate themselves. He needed them to know where they were. And Adam pretty much calls it out. His answer is, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because i was naked so i hid so where were they fear shame hiding and in a minute we can add blaming to the list when they're like he's like well she gave it to me and then she's like well the snake maybe do it right that's where they were <laughs> right the blame game where are you this morning though i mean i know the literal answer it's like well i mean i'm at the well right? (laughs) Salt Lake City, beautiful, right? Okay, I I know literally where you are, but where are you? Like, how are you doing? Like, for real? If you were to be brutally honest, where are you today as you come to this service? In one sense, we're all in the same place, right? Physically in the room, joining us online. We're all in part of this one experience, but we're coming from different places because some of you, if you're honest, are lonely today. That's where you are. Some of you are weary. And some of you are rejoicing, like best season you've ever had. Epic, that's great. But you, we're all over the map. Some are afraid, some are overwhelmed with shame. Like, where are you? I'll tell you why that matters. is because not only does God care about that, that would be enough for it to matter where you are and, and I guess how you are today. But here's the thing. I think many of us, and we sang about it this morning, we know that there's a journey. God's calling us to more. But the first step in any successful journey is to know where you are it's great to know where you're going but if you don't know where you are or if you can't be honest with yourself about where you are or you live as though you are where everybody else wants you to be or thinks that you are well that's that's it's going to be very hard isn't it to walk out that journey like if you go to a shopping mall and you're looking for a particular store and you've never been to this mall before what's the first thing that you do You find the big old map, and you're looking for one thing. What is it? You are here. Right? That's all we need to, the message this morning, amen, the message is about destiny and the future, but this message this morning is the Father asking you, where are you? Amen? Amen. Where are you at today? I, I got located by a passage of scripture I want to share with you today, just months ago, and it's kind of the... The basis of the message today, it helped me locate myself, four verses, four simple principles that if I was being honest with myself, and I really was when I read this, and I pray it's like a life-giving verse to you too, help me figure out where I was. It's in the book of Isaiah, or Isaiah, if you prefer, put the Australian subtitles on, This book is kind of fascinating, Isaiah's is one of the prophets, and there were a bunch of them in this time in history that were prophesying, basically warning God's people. God was calling them back to covenant, calling them back to holiness, to repent, turn from their way back to his way. These are the very people God had delivered from Egypt, brought through the Red Sea, you know, brought them into the promised lands and fought giants on their behalf, right? And then they abandoned him. The kingdom is split between the Northern, which became known as Israel and Judah in the South. And the enemies are at the gate on every side. Things are bad, idols are set up in the temple where only the one true God should be worshiped. And chapter after chapter of Isaiah is the Lord rebuking through the prophet, all these other nations around that had harassed and persecuted, killed and maligned God's people. But in chapter 30, Lord turns to his own people with a loving rebuke. And this really challenged me. It set me free in Isaiah 30, verse 15. This is what it says. It says, this is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says, only in returning to me and resting in me, will you be saved. In quietness and confidence is your strength, but you would have none of them. You said, no, we will get our help from Egypt and they will give us swift horses for riding into battle. But the only swiftness you're going to see is the swiftness of your enemies chasing you. One of them will chase a thousand of you. Five of them will make all of you flee. You'll be left like a lonely flagpole on a hill, a tattered banner on a distant mountaintop. So the Lord must wait for you to come to him so he can show you his love and compassion. For the Lord is a faithful God. Blessed are those who wait for his help. Where are you today? I wanna walk back through these verses for a few minutes and ponder, reflect some things, because the ways of God, the ways that we see modeled in the ways of Jesus, are different, oftentimes just flat opposite, from the way of this world, And the first part comes from verse 15. If you're taking notes this afternoon, comes from verse 15, it's number one, is returning and resting. Returning and resting. He said in verse 15, he says, only in returning to me and resting in me will you be saved. Now there was a literal interpretation of what's happening here in a historical context. At this moment in time, the Babylonian empire is growing in power and strength, and it's literally crushing other empires and and, uh, neighboring nations in its wake. Fortresses are falling. There's wars and rumors of war, and the Israelites are rightly afraid because really they've abandoned God. They've been faithless they, you know, and they've ignored if, and oftentimes even killed the prophets who dared call them back to holiness, to repent and to turn back to God. And so they, have in many ways, walked out from the protection of the Father. And so they're in this terrible time. And so they're hoping for salvation, like a literal salvation from a literal enemy. But God's battle strategy for them is kind of weird. This is what he says. He says, only in returning to me and resting in me will you be saved. God's battle plan. Not mention armies or chariots or archers and ramparts and walls and strongholds. No, the Lord says, you want to be saved? You want me to save you? Here's what it looks like. Return to me. Come back to me. And then... Rest, not just any kind of rest. You're not talking about laziness or complacency or assumption. No, rest where? Rest in me. You want to experience the salvation of the faithful Lord that had brought them out of Egypt from Pharaoh, let my people go through the Red Sea, (laughs) right? Into this land flowing with milk and honey. He's like, hey, then return to me. Come back to me. Bring your hearts back to me. We're saying it earlier. Jehovah Nissi fights your battles, right? Nissi means banner. Like literally the Lord is the banner over you. You know, in, the, in these days, a king's banner would be over his troops as they went out to war. But what's crazy about this is not only is his banner over us, but he himself is fighting our battles. But his people had forgotten that, that he was their healer, that he was Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides, that he was Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace. Our salvation works the same way. This isn't just a historical lesson today. The principle is the same for us today. How do we apply this? How do we today in our own way return to him? And I'm not just talking about the day of your salvation. Amen to that. But let's be real, the journey of following Jesus means we need to return to Him again and again. When we get into pride or when we stumble and fall or when we get into discouragement or life throws us a curveball and we find ourselves off track and lost and disoriented, what do we do? We return to Him again. Psalm 23, King David said, "'The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want.'" If God is our shepherd, another translation says, "'I I lack nothing.'" What, what does it mean for him to be our shepherd? It sounds, sounds just pretty, right? But it, what it means is he's, he's leading. He's in charge. It means he knows where the food is, where the water is. I trust him. When the Lord is my shepherd, I submit myself to his leadership. What's he going to do? He makes me lie down in green pastures. That's a good one for me. I like this translation because it's like not optional. That's, what, that's how I need it. Like, I'm like an Enneagram 3, if you know all that stuff, right? Like, the Lord is like, lie down, Paul. It's not even a question, not an option. It's not like, here's a good idea. It's like, <laughs> he makes me lie down. That's how it works in my life. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. You know, that's a little abstract. to think it away. Like, what does it mean to have my soul restored? There's another translation. Because, you know, these verses weren't originally written in English. And sometimes when they're trying to bring the original language into English, we, we lose something. Otherwise the Bible would be too long, right? And there's an, another translation of this, he restores my soul, is he renews my strength. That's a lot of what I get to do now. I mean, it's like the greatest job ever. Just help pastors and leaders and people who spend their lives pouring out, help them restore their soul and renew their strength. Amen. That's what happens when the Lord is your shepherd. He leads me in positive righteousness for his name's sake. Here's the deal. You were born unconditionally loved by God. Along the way, even when we're following Jesus, it's so easy for the thinking of this world to get in there and convince us that somehow we're going to earn this love, which we could never earn pay for our salvation, which we never could, which is why Jesus came. Amen. Like, amen to diligence. Amen to gratefulness. But we cannot save ourselves. But we try. Many of us. If I just work a little harder. And sometimes it's not even about salvation. Sometimes it's our own ambition, our flesh, our pride. If I just get to here, if I got that job, if I made that promotion, if I had that thing, then I would feel complete. If I studied a little harder. But you know, There's something that keeps you an eye on that hamster wheel, not returning and not resting. And I want to give you a little bit of pastoral advice, New York style. Is that all right? Here's my New York style pastoral advice if this is a struggle for you. And listen, this whole message, zero shade being thrown. This is me living this out. This is my struggle on display here. This is my pastoral advice for you. Stop lying to yourself underneath all of that behavior that keeps us striving and struggling and running and gunning and all the things that we do in our own strength is a belief, a lie we tell ourselves. I'll tell you one of mine, just so that we're all on full display here this morning. Here's one of the lies that I told myself. I discovered it in a conversation with my mom. Now, she passed away some years ago, um, but this was back when we were still living in Australia. Zeke was born, maybe Jesse as well. and We're trying to figure out a time to get together for dinner. Now my mom is like a total sweetheart. Like I literally cannot remember truly a time in my life where she said a mean thing about anybody. So which is why she was able to sneak up on me like a ninja and cut me to the heart in the conversation that I'm about to unfold for you. So we're talking about something innocuous like let's get a, a night for dinner on the calendar. Well We're looking for a date. i got this going. i got this happening. Oh, i got to be, oh, this is important. I've got all of these things happening. And I could see my mom's frustration that we couldn't even find time to get together for dinner. And and so I say, which I think is like a perfectly logical explanation. (laughs) I said to her, hey, mom, it's just a busy season right now. And then she, with a big smile, said right back to me, oh, Paul, you always say that. And she cut me to the heart because that, was the lie I told myself. It's just a busy season right now because that's so much more, that feels like I can survive that. It feels like I haven't really got a problem, but I did have a problem. I was a workaholic And and I had an unhealthy attachment to ministry and results and needed affirmation of people, which meant that ministry was my mistress. I mean, it's bad, right? I'm in this place where all my worth is caught up in what I'm doing. So I'm on that hamster wheel, running harder and harder and harder but I had to tell myself something to stay sane and it's just, it's just a busy season right now. That was my lie. I wonder what your lie might be that would keep you unable, or so it seems, unwilling maybe, to return into rest. Because it could be about where your value comes from, for instance. Could be about the favor of God and needing to earn it. Uh, could be a lie about who or what provides for your family. I mean, we sang... Jehovah Jireh, right? He's our provider, but many of us act like we have to provide for ourselves and even for all the people that we care about. I'm not up here preaching laziness and abdication this morning. I don't hear what I'm not saying. But we're in a world of trouble when we take that weight on ourselves. And I didn't say this with any judgment. I just spent 12 years pastoring in the city that never sleeps. <laughs> you guys. This is like the hardest place in the world for me to learn these lessons because everything about the environment tempted me to live into a false truth. And yet you look at Jesus, what do you see in Jesus? He literally has the weight of the world on his shoulders. He is actually the savior of the world, not me who acts like that, but Jesus who actually is, but then has time to stay up and pray, who can sleep in the boat in the storm while all the fishermen freak out. I mean, who can draw away from crowds, unenamored, with what's cool and what's popular, a preacher's best up on a mountain with a handful of followers, that challenges me. What a relief that he calls us to rest and return rather than to strive and struggle on our own. Number two, quietness and confidence. The first is to return and to rest. And the second key here is quietness and confidence. Only in returning to me, we read this earlier, verse 15, and resting in me will you be saved. In quietness and confidence is your strength, but you would have none of it. He says that their strength, their secret source, is gonna be quietness and confidence. So. Do you feel like that's a good summary of the world around us today? That if you were to sort of tie up our Western, you know, culture today in a, in a little pithy phrase that quietness and competence that's really what we're all about, isn't it? No, the opposite of the way of our world today. It's not about quietness at all. It's almost like we've forgotten that. How to be still, how to not have to feel the pressure to have an opinion on everything. Or it's almost like social media feeds that beast for many of us, right? Gotta say something. And so there are places to say something, but it's almost like this we don't even know how to be quiet with our own thoughts. How to be quiet in the presence of God and listen. Well, the ability to be quiet in in many ways is anchored in the fact that we've returned to him and we're resting in him and therefore we don't feel the need to always fill the atmosphere with our words and our thoughts and our opinions. Quietness and confidence is your strength. Well, how does that work? This is interesting. Where does our confidence come from Psalm forty-six, verse ten, says, "Be still, and know that I am God." does not that sound like those two things going together—quietness and confidence? Be still and know. And notice, he doesn't say, "Be still and know you got this," (laughs) because we don't got this. He got this, right? Be still and know I am God. So we get sometimes nervous in church circles when I talk about confidence. Because we kind of have that on the same shelf as pride and arrogance and assumption and other things, right? We think they're kind of synonyms, but they're not. Confidence is different, but it's all about your foundation. If there was a Paul Andrew dictionary and there isn't, pride, I would kind of define in layman's terms as pride is when my confidence is built on me and who I am. It's my resources, my work ethic, my gifts, my money, my whatever, right? When my quote unquote competence is in myself, it's not on a good foundation. And the Bible calls that pride. So you're right to be nervous about pride because a couple of the famous ones, pride comes before a fall, that doesn't sound good. Uh, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So we don't wanna be proud, but what's the difference? How do I know if I'm being confident or if I'm being proud? Good question, glad you asked. Uh, <laughs> So right, pride is when it's built on me. Confidence is when my assurance is in who he is. When I build on the faithfulness of God, amen? When it's built on his word and his promises that are yes and amen in Jesus. That's when it's true confidence. It's when my confidence is in him. My God is faithful and he will provide and heal and make a way. That's why he, uh, Hebrews 10.35 can say, do not throw away your confidence. Yeah. It will be richly rewarded. So, just reflect on that for a second. How am I doing with being able to be quiet, be still? How am I doing with having my confidence built on the right foundation, which is Him? Because I can know the peace of being quiet and confident instead of the exhaustion, self-promotion, the hollow charade that is being loud and proud and living in the way of this world, hoping we can fake it till we make it, which you never do. He is the only sure foundation. Amen? So number three follows beautifully on from that, and that is who or what do I ultimately trust? So look at the arc of the story here. We return to him and therefore we can rest in him. We learn quietness and confidence as our strength. Look where it starts to break down for Israel. This was the first phrase I underlined when I was reading this for myself a few months back. It says in verse 15, after painting this picture of a beautiful way of following the Lord, he says, but you would have none of it. That was the first thing I underlined in this passage. I was like, oh, that's hard. You'd have none of it. I don't say this because I'm like up here all judging Israel. I was feeling the conviction in my own soul. I was like, that's been me. How many times would I have none of it? God's like, I'll teach you a better way. I'm going to teach you to rest, Paul, and I would have none of it. Hey, learn to be quiet. Draw your strength from me. Stop building on this flimsy foundation, building your house on the sand. I got some rock over here you could build on. And I would have, I would have none of it. What do they do instead? This is tragic. It Says you would have none of it. You said, no, we will get our help from Egypt. And they will give us swift horses for riding into battle. So historically, what actually happened at this moment, right? I already mentioned the, Ab- the Babylonians are rising up and they know, oh, we're no match for their armies. I mean, they've crushed everybody left and right. So they're like, you know what we should do? Not run to the Lord, not repent, tear our clothes like they used to do in the old days. and <laughs> Bring an offering and say, Lord, they didn't humble themselves, like forgive us. Did you give us another chance? And who knows, God and in his incredible mercy, I mean, Story could have been so different. You know what they did instead? They took all their money, emptied out the temple and the palace. They're like, we're gonna, we're gonna buy mercenaries. They sent their money down to Egypt. That's ironic. Like the very place that God had delivered them from, where they were enslaved and beaten. And those people tried to kill them when they finally let them go. Reluctantly after all the plagues, them of all people, they're like, oh, I hear they got big chariots down there. Those horses are really strong. Maybe if we maybe if we buy ourselves a bodyguard—that's the essence of what they're trying to do here. You know, Babylon or back down. Well, there's two parts of the tragedy here. Number one is uh, Egypt is like thanks for the money, and then double crosses them. That's a bummer. That's why God goes on to say the only swiftness you'll see is them chasing you. <laughs> so that's a bummer. But the bigger thing is it revealed what they really trusted, that's my question, right? Who or what do you ultimately trust? When their backs were up against the wall, when they were afraid and probably rightly afraid, where did they run to? Not the Lord, they ran to Egypt. So you might be thinking, that's great, but what's the application to me? I'll tell you what it is, I'm glad you asked, (laughs) right? I'll tell you what the application is to you is because I'm gonna ask you a question right now, you could ponder this, what's your Egypt? Just use Egypt as a metaphor for anything you find yourself tempted to run to when you should be running to God. Could be a coping mechanism, could be somebody you really trust, could be money, could be connections, could be your education and your credentials and your achievements. But What's that thing you run to when your soul knows on the inside? If you just listen, this is the moment not to run from God to anything else, but to run to Him. By the way, this is what we call an idol. A lot of us today, thousands of years later, if I get up here and talk about having idols in your life, many of us are thinking, well, I don't have any little stone carvings in my house. Check, I'm all good, that's awesome. Well, I hate to tell you, but time out on that. Um, (laughs) Idols, I heard somebody define an idol as this. They said, an idol is anything I have to check with before saying yes to God. All right, now I've got several things on the list, right? Because if I'm not careful, I might check. My calendar could be the idol, or my spouse could be an idol, or my money could be an idol, right? What is it that I trust in ultimately? I'm not saying it's bad to have these things, but my trust needs to be in God. That's why Proverbs 3, verse five and six says, trust in the Lord with what? All your heart. Oh and lean not on your own understanding. Man, it's so easy to lean back on that stuff, isn't it? Yeah. My own understanding, my ways, my t- what I think is right. No, lean on Him. In all your ways, submit to Him, the Bible says, and He will make your paths straight. Trust the Lord. Can I give you one more? Yeah, come on, it's good. Come on, as the team come join me. Fourth and final point this morning is who is waiting on whom? Who is waiting on whom? We're gonna go to verse 18 in a second, but I first gotta confess that the first time I preached this message a few months back at a buddy's church, the person who was making the slides for the screen was like, hey, I had to fix something. I was like, what? He said, my wife's an English teacher. I had, who is waiting on who? So for all the grammar people out there today, feel so fancy, Uh, who is waiting on whom, everybody? Just learned something in church, didn't I? This is what verse 18 says. It says, so the Lord must wait for you to come to him. By the way, what's the so? So, because they wouldn't do all these things, they they couldn't, they resisted every effort to return and to rest, to be quiet and confident. They ran to Egypt when they should have run to him. Because of all of these things, it says, the Bible says, so the Lord must wait for you to come to him so he can show you his love and compassion. For the Lord is a faithful God, yeah. blessed are those who wait for His help. So, stay with me. Why was God waiting? It says, the Lord must wait for you to come to Him so He can show you the back of His hand, right? Is that what it was? Oh, wait. No so he can show you his love and compassion. Wait, I thought God was waiting, just ready to pounce. Got a lightning bolt all charged up. (laughs) I know they're going to mess up, but I'm going to fry their butt. (laughs) I'm not making light of the seriousness of our sin and the consequences, but you understand many of us have this picture of a perpetually angry God always looking to pour out judgment and consequences and yet to be honest if there was a time in Israel's history where that would have made a lot of sense it's probably this moment and even at their lowest even in their complete abandon of God I mean it's awful they're back to sacrificing their children to false gods and like the lowest of the low it's almost impossible to imagine even in that moment what was he waiting to do he's waiting to show them love and compassion it's like he's standing looking waiting yeah. would you give me a chance it's like he's like tag me in <laughs> yeah. i got this yeah. Yeah. trust me Ah, yeah. oh, we got this god okay i'll be here we ready yet okay still waiting still waiting there's two ways of waiting in this passage this is what's interesting to me who's waiting on whom what they had by their Actions caused to be was that God was forced to wait on them, but there is an alternative. This makes me hopeful. This is the Lord must wait for you to come to Him, so He can show you His love and compassion. For the Lord is a faithful God. Listen, blessed are those who wait for His help. We've got an alternative, and that is that we can choose to wait on God to wait on Him to seek Him. Don't imagine, a lot of times when I say this, I always think we have a very passive view of waiting on God. Like we're, you know, just gonna crank the arm back at the lazy boy and make a hot chocolate, God's gonna get it done. It's like, well, what if we had a picture that was something more like an Olympic runner in the starter blocks, poised, every muscle ready, listening for that sound. The gun goes off and they're running. What if that was our idea of waiting on God, prepared, faith-filled, nevertheless at your word, I will let down the net. I believe God's got more for you if we would only wait on Him. Because here's the thing, He wants to show you love and compassion, but He's also a good Father. And here's the tension. This is what's hard. Here's the tension. Look, I'm a dad. I got four awesome kids, one of them here today. Super proud of him. But you know, even... I'm not a perfect dad. I'm a good dad. But even in my human frailty, I know there are times when I want to bless my kids. I want to do something nice for them. But there are reasons why I shouldn't. Every parent knows what I'm talking about right now. If I, you know, they want this gift and I really want to give it to them. They want this opportunity. They want to do this thing. Here's the challenge though. If what I'm seeing as a dad is greed, Envy, they won't share, acting entitled, no thankfulness. Isn't that hard as a parent? Because everything in your heart just wants to bless them, but you also don't want to water those bad seeds. You don't want to see more of that. It's like, man, I want to, but I love you so much that I'm not gonna bless you right now because I want you to experience the fullness of God in your life. Okay, so that's me trying to explain through a human perspective. How much more Him? Who actually truly knows the depths of our heart and by the way, loves us anyway. Here's my point. I wonder how many times God has wanted to bless me, but I made Him wait. It's like, I love you, Paul. And that's not even the wrong prayer that you're praying, but that attitude, that behavior, that stuff going on, all that insecurity right now. I was like, hey, I love you enough that I'm going to wait on that just a minute and hope that you would, in turn, come wait on me. Amen. The beautiful thing about following Jesus, this is just a thought for you this morning. It's, It's opposite than what a lot of people think. You might think, well, boy, I came into this church and I'm not like really a churchy kind of person. If they knew how I live or... You know, I usually talk or blah, 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 blah. You know, you kind of feel like, oh, I'm a fish out of water here, right? I've heard people say to me, oh, I would never go to church because the roof would cave in. I'm not sure where that idea comes from. But it's like, uh, this whole thing of like, you know, I'm not holy enough for that whole Christianity thing. That's like the cleverest lie the enemy ever told. Because right, right. the problem with that is it paints this picture like God will only receive you if you get your act together. Right which sounds like it could make sense, right? I gotta clean, well, if I'm gonna come before the King, I better shave and shower and get myself, but but that's not how it works with Jesus. We come in our mess. Like, where am I? Hurting, broken, messed up, addicted, whatever, coping. That's where I am. God's like, awesome. That is where you are and I'll meet you there. And He loves you so much. This is what's beautiful. You don't have to fix yourself up to come to God. You know what, we actually can't. Like we can try for a minute, but it always fails. It always breaks down. And it puts all the attention back on us again. You know how, you know how change really happens? This is magical. This is just the beauty of the gospel is we don't change from the outside in by trying to, when do I lift my hands? And what do I say? And you know, practice my hallelujahs and whatever. We don't change from the outside in. It's, this is not, the well is not a behavior modification program, right? You know how we change? We change from the inside out. It's like a mystery. We invite Jesus in and he comes in and it's awkward because it's like, it's like having somebody over that you weren't expecting in the house is really bad. That's how I feel with Jesus first coming into my life. I was like, this is so embarrassing. Like, are you sure Have you got the right guy? Like, I'm a disaster. Like, you really don't want me. Are they better off? You're scraping the barrel, Jesus. That's what I'm thinking. And he comes in anyway. He's like, oh, I got this. How about we work on this over here? And little by little, he just like cleans me from the inside out. All the attention's not out here. It's in here. And He works in me and He shapes me and He changes me. That's why Isaiah 40, 31 says, those who wait on the Lord, wait on the Lord, shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. You know that same first verse, those who wait on the Lord. Another translation says, those who trust in the Lord. Another translation says, those whose hope, Is the Lord. It's all connected, right? What we trust, where our hope is, who we wait on. God has a better way for us. You know he loves you. You need to be reminded of that. And he loves you just like you are. This is what's crazy about it. He loves you just the way you are, and he loves you too much if you let him to leave you there. He wants to draw you. That's what He's doing this morning. He's drawing hearts right now, even now. Your cross, my freedom. Your stripes, my healing. Oh, praise King Jesus. Glory to God forever. Listen to this your blood (laughs) still speaking. You know, there's a passage in the scripture that says that his blood speaks a better word. In other words, it's a better covenant. He paid for. All the Old Testament is them sacrificing, them trying to keep all the laws, them remembering all the different things. And then in comes Jesus and see like, it doesn't work, does it? Not without me. And then his blood Speaks a better word. Your love, come on, still reaching. All praise King Jesus. Glory to God forever. His love's reaching out to people in this room right here and right now. Still remember the day I sat in a service like this many, many moons ago. preacher up there was spitting fire and I'd been around like I grew up in like Christian like private Christian schools but I had enough Christianity to totally put me off if you know what I'm saying it was like an inoculation like a vaccine against Christianity it's kind of how I had experienced it right just enough of a dose to be like I'm good uh, and then it's like I had this encounter like you can feel the presence of God in here now and this guy is like man if you know you need Jesus if you want A savior. If you need forgiveness, would you just raise your hand? And I'm telling you, it was like it was involuntary for me. It was like, it was the wildest thing. I was like, oh, what what are you doing? Oh, (laughs) you know what I mean? It's almost like my my spirit knew and it's like, you know, like on command. There was something about it in that moment. And, And look, I haven't lived this thing perfectly. Far from it. This message is in part my processing and confession of a work in progress, right? To give, hopefully, you some hope that we're all fragile but working at this. But I will tell you this. I never looked back there's no no shame again there's no condemnation for some of you in this room are like and i did and i struggled and i went back but something about me from that moment i was marked marked i want to pray for us in here and i want to pray two things actually can i have every head bowed every eye closed firstly I want to pray on all of our behalf this is an honest church this is a place where you don't have to put on airs and graces and pretend you can come as you are and experience grace and truth and community here I first want to pray for all of us because I believe there are many of us in here and you do love Jesus and the wells might well be your home and but you're convicted by this passage like I am, that we've fallen into the ways of this world. And what I want for you today, what I believe the Father wants is not shame, not guilt, not to leave out of here today with your shoulders down, like, ugh, feel terrible about myself, I failed again. No, if anything, I want the opposite. I wanna lift that weight off. Lord Jesus, I pray on behalf of everyone in this room. I pray even for myself. I just admit my failure my struggles, my shortcomings, all the ways in which even as I preach this message, I'm still convicted now to return to you and rest in you, to be quiet and build my confidence on you, to trust in you and not in my idols, not in Egypt, to make a decision, I will wait on the Lord Instead of making him wait on me, Lord, I repent. I pray others in this place today would repent of every way that we've lived short of your glory. And would you give us strength again to live in the beautiful, liberating, freedom-bringing way of Jesus, in Jesus' name. Just keep your eyes closed if you would a moment longer. We sing that bridge. My freedom, your stripes, my healing, all praise. King Jesus, glory to God in heaven. Your blood still speaking, your love still reaching, all praise. King Jesus, me to God forever. Glory to you, Jesus. Glory to you, Jesus. Your cross, where well, you gave a perfect, sinless life on our behalf. Your blood spilled for our sins when you were sinless. We praise you, Jesus. As heads about and eyes are closed, I'm gonna ask everybody to join me in praying a prayer that's really all about returning, which is kind of the beginning of this whole message, right? The ultimate return, the beginning of the journey to be a follower of the way of Jesus is to return to Him. But all we really need to do is to admit our need of God. I have sinned, I need forgiveness. I can't save myself, I need a savior. To reach out in faith and say, Jesus, I don't understand it all, but I believe that you are God. And I believe the Father loves me. And so I accept what you already did on the cross as payment for my sin. I'm going to pray a prayer just like that right now. I want to ask everybody to pray along with me these words. Dear Heavenly Father. Father. Come on, everybody. Dear Heavenly Heavenly Father, Father. Thank you that you love me thank you for sending Jesus your one and only Son to live on this earth to die on that cross to pour out his blood that I could receive life forgive me Lord of all my sin come live in me and be my Lord my Savior and my King I confess jesus christ as my savior so give me strength to live for him lord all my days in jesus name amen